The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Welcome to The Echo Chamber. I'm Arthi Shaw, your host for today's episode that looks at the gender pay gap. So many of you know the Holmes Report conducted some research earlier this year that revealed a substantial pay gap across both gender and and ethnicity for PR professionals in North America. And I'll include links to those show notes, um, a link to that story in the show notes for those of you who may have missed that. But essentially, it confirmed what I think um, other studies have also shown is that there is a a pay gap does exist in in our industry So the timing of this podcast, of course, is on the back of that, but also there's a lot going on in this area from a policy perspective. By, I think it's April 2018, every organization in the UK that employs more than 250 people will have to start reporting any gender pay gap that exists there. Um, Several US cities have now outlawed the practice of asking prospective employees questions about their salary history. So we're going to dive into the ramifications for, for some of these policy initiatives, as well as why the pay gap continues to perpetuate when there seems to be so much awareness around the problem by now. So we'll have Angela Oakes, who is co-founder and joint president of the Global Women in PR um, organization, on in just a moment to have a conversation about this. Welcome to the show, Angela. Hi. So we are here to talk about gender pay gaps in the industry. And I first want to kind of give our listeners a little bit of context. Can you explain a little bit about the Global Women in PR, for which you're a co-founder, um, what it is, yeah. why it formed? Okay. Yes. Um, myself and Susan Hardwick, we are the joint presidents and co-founders of Global Women in PR. And we were former presidents of uh, Women in PR in the United Kingdom which is a networking group and a sector group of the trade association there. And uh, when we handed over our presidency about four or five years ago, we realized that we could take this idea uh, on a international uh, plane because we felt that that, uh, women in public relations was extremely good at connecting senior PR women around the world. And it offers members the opportunity to share ideas, experiences, and resources. And we also provide insights and look carefully at key issues like uh, gender pay and flexible work. Um, So we have campaigning um, objectives, but we also are very much a supportive network of senior women in the industry. So we have been expanding in the last two years, uh, Global Women in PR, and there are various chapters or groups now setting up around the world, including India, Germany, across Europe. So it's been a really uh, exciting time, and I think it's a great concept, especially as we're now living in a, a global world, um, to help women in the industry. And and one of sorry, well, I was going to ask Em because you know you all have done the research about the pay gap at least for two years. I know we you know, we see twenty seventeen. I know you did this in twenty sixteen. How long have you been doing that that research? Well, uh, we only founded Global Women in PR two years ago, so we thought we would launch the survey last year globally, um, because then we can then use it to benchmark what happens, 
uh, and what's going to ha happening in the industry around the world. Um, and then we can also try, when we raise the issues, to consider what the solutions might be. Because it's one thing highlighting the issue, and it's very widely reported that there's a gender pay gap in all industries, not just in the public relations industry. But we want to actually try and find solutions. And by working together, I think women in the industry can do that. So Angela, before we get started, and of course, I mean, it's, um, I, I hope that I don't need to say this anymore, um, but it's, it's, it's worth sort of reminding people that, you know, the reason we're talking about this, the reason this is getting so much attention isn't just because it is the right, good, you know, thing to do, but also because of it, because it's a business imperative. I mean, research has shown and the data has shown again and again that organizations that embrace diversity, both gender and, and ethnic diversity, um, both have higher profits, they, they have better business performance, and they just overall have stronger reputations, which is something that, you know, our industry should care about very much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any number of management consultancies like McKinsey have been coming out with research saying that it's much better for business, that boardrooms that have men and women sitting at the table. And currently, um, from our research this year, we found that men occupy 62% of the seats at the PR boardroom table, so there's still a long way to go. Um, and also in the public relations industry, it's widely reported, particularly amongst recruitment companies, um, that it's the mid-career women that we're losing. Um, there is a big talent issue. Um, women are actually dropping out of the industry mid-career. Uh, one of the major challenges that the industry is facing is retaining talent and finding good talent at that level. Um, so it's, it's, it's a business argument. It's not just an ethical argument that people should be paid the same. Uh, and not forgetting the other element that's really important in terms of having women at that table and women involved in making major decisions in the industry is, is diversity. And, you know, PR is a creative industry and we need men and women and people of all backgrounds um, as part of those, those teams. And then in agencies, um, when you have the more diverse teams, you get more creative results because obviously you've got very different attitudes and mindsets looking at uh, programs, developing programs. One of the interesting events that we put on at the Cannes uh, Festival of Creativity in the summer was uh, on uh, the subject topic actually was flexible working, but we had Charlotte Witt, who's the director of Prime, uh, one of the Weber Shandwick agencies, and she talked about quite passionately, because in Sweden they have a much more open and diverse culture, about the importance on their creative teams of having uh, this very mixed agency team. And uh, it obviously proved uh, very successful for Prime because they've won more uh, Canline Gold Awards than any other PR agency in the last 10 years. Um, so I think diversity is really important for the business, for agencies, for the PR industry. Um, and it's something that, that you know businesses really ought to sit up and take notice of. And, and it seems increasingly like like they are. Um, I mean, of course. I mean, especially on on the on the corporate side. Even if even if agencies are not quite there, did you see what HP did earlier this year, which was so interesting? Not earlier yeah. this year. It was actually a few months, like a few weeks ago. Um, a, a year ago, right? I mean, they they gave their agencies basically a mandate that you have to increase levels of 
either um, of both women on your teams and and people of color and the representation needs to not just be on the team but also at the leadership level and then t- fast forward 12 months and they published the results and they I mean that's a level of accountability that we've never seen before from clients have I we I know no and actually um their director of comms, uh, Karen Kahn, was another speaker at our event last summer, and she was talking about that. Um, so that, that, was, that was incredibly powerful for a client to behave in that way towards their agency, to make sure that they had a diverse team. I thought that was phenomenal and really leading the way. I mean, do you think this, this is really what's going to push agencies to take notice, right? I mean, until until it's driven, I mean, what, what I've always heard is that until clients start demanding diversity and representation on their teams, um, it's, it's, it's just going to be, it's going to be more rhetoric than action. Yeah, I think it's slowly changing anyway, but it, the progress is really, really slow. But if clients start making a financial imperative, uh, for agencies to behave in a certain way and the agencies want to keep the business, then that, I think, will help accelerate change. I really do. I mean, I also think that there is um, a political uh, imperative here in terms of gender pay. And uh, we've seen it in the United Kingdom this year because uh, in the United Kingdom it has now become, earlier this year, a legal requirement for companies and organisations to publish their gender pay figures. Um, and I think that's a very powerful move as well, because, you know, it's a name and shame otherwise. Uh, and I think if other countries around the world adopted that sort of um, uh, legal requirement, that will also help in terms of reducing gender pay gap. Yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, the United States has actually taken many steps backwards in this regard mm-hmm. recently. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the equal pay protections that former President Obama had put into place have actually been um, rolled back under under the new administration. So, um, but it's good to hear that you know other countries like the UK are are um, continuing to move forward. Um, so let's let's go back for a minute and talk about the attrition and women are are leaving around around the mid level. And I was wondering if you had any sort of insight around why this is happening and and. One of the things that you commonly hear, and there was actually an Atlantic article that ran a couple of years ago on this topic, and of course what we hear again and again is um, women leave because of work-life balance. And what this research did was they actually, you know, when when they went to the organizations that the women left, that was the reason cited, but then they actually went and interviewed the women, and the women actually said the reason they left was they actually didn't feel valued at their organizations and they didn't feel like there was really a path forward for them at their organizations beyond where, where they were. Uh, so I wanted to get some, get some insight from you around this. Like what reasons are you hearing um, about sort of that attrition, that mid-level attrition? Yeah, I think there's, there's, there's two issues here that I wanted to raise. Um, one is um, around flexible working, obviously, uh, and the fact that uh, well, we all know women take on more of the responsibility uh, of childcare. Uh, women actually do more of the household chores. I mean, our research has come out with this. Um, in fact, I think it was 42% of women claimed they did more than half of the household chores and only 6% of men. So there's a, there's a big difference there. 
So um, if you are in a very demanding job and you're putting in a lot of hours, then, you know, just juggling it, it becomes incredibly difficult. So, um, I mean, that's been well documented. And, and I think that, that that is an issue that companies can also help because I do feel that um, flexibility in the workplace is gradually changing a bit. I mean, from our survey, I think we found 70% of respondents were allowed to work flexible hours, and that's very positive. But um, at the same time, 81% um, said that they could be just as efficient if they chose the hours they worked. Um, so I think there is a move for women to be able to work from home more and more flexibly, but it hasn't actually gone far enough. I think there's still uh, a number of major organisations, both agencies and uh, non-agencies, where people are working in comms, where you are expected to be at your desk from nine till six or seven. And if you've got children, which is the mid-career level woman, then you, know, you just have to go home and, because you've got responsibilities as a parent as well as a... As a a working woman. So I think when women are still taking on more than half the responsibility for childcare, domestic chores, then it's inevitably going to carry on being difficult. But I think society is, again, changing very slowly. So those sort of things, I hope, will gradually improve with time. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to, to, to raise, when you talked about women feeling not valued in organisations, I think this ties into another really big issue for women that has also come out of our research last year and this year, and that's the confidence issue. And we've also heard this anecdotally when we've talked to headhunters and recruitment companies. Um, and women are just much less confident in terms of putting themselves forward for promotion, uh, for pay rises, than men. Um, many of the recruitment uh, headhunters that's, that's pointed out that, you know, they put, a, they put a job to a man and they, 10 skills are required and the man looks at the list and he probably can do eight of them and he'll say, yep, I can do it all, it'll be great, put me forward for the job. And then they say they will show the same 10 skills to a woman. They'll go, oh, I don't know, I can only do eight of these things. I don't think you should put me forward to the job. And that confidence issue, I think, really is hold, holding women back from getting into the boardroom in companies. Um, and I think one way that we need to address this is through um, successful women as role models. I think women that have actually made it to the top uh, can lead by example and mentor other women uh, at mid-career level. I think this is a really important thing, and I, I'd like to see this growing more and more uh, in, in organisations all over the world. Um, and I think, you know, an organisation like ours, Global Women in PR, where we've got networking events, that's a more informal way. That's also a, a way that women can help each other by exchanging ideas and motivating each other to go for these these um, higher jobs. Because, I mean, I think, you know, your, your own Homes Report research has uh, highlighted that something, I think it's just not one of the top ten agencies, PR agencies, has got a female CEO, which is appalling when you consider our industry is two-thirds women. That's what makes it all the more shocking that we've got an industry that's dominated by women. Oh, yes. And I think 
we look, we looked, and I think your list of the top 30 global PR agencies, only 78% of the CEO, 78% of CEOs in the top 30 global PR agencies are men, which is um, shocking, really. I mean, one of the encouraging things is that if you start looking at the leadership teams, they do have a more balanced split. Mm-hmm. Uh, and women are in the PR uh, industry are coming nearer to that 50-50 split. I mean, Weber Shandwick has actually done right. particularly well on this. But the top seat, seats, the CEO and the president's, it's extremely elusive. Right. I mean, I mean, and what's what's encouraging about the boards and about having women serve on? I mean, this is where presumably the the successors for right today's CEOs will will be selected from, right? So, so the more representation women have there, the the higher likelihood that they are going to take the top spot. And and to be fair, there yeah. are there are a couple of very big agencies where they do have women in 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 number two spots. So, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, who it's not for certain that, that these women are going to, you know, ascend to the, to the global CEO role, but they, they are, they, they, I mean, they're, they're certainly a candidate, um, probably in some cases, right, the strongest candidate for that position. But, but I want to go back and touch yeah. on a, a couple of things that you, that you talked about. Um, the first was um, the, the, the imbalance on, on, on the workload and the fact that women do... Um, Still, uh, you know, despite a lot of talk about um, having more egalitarian households, um, that's not the reality. And I wonder if there are policies that employers and agencies can put into place to encourage households to share the balance a little bit better or, or even, you know, to have the, the load shared more equally. And I wondered if things like having gender neutral parental leave or, you know, or even including a paternity leave or having flex time available for fathers, not just mothers, really mm-hmm. sends a signal that, look, this is everybody's responsibility and we shouldn't be mm-hmm. placing this burden on women alone. Mm. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, I think paternity leave is a big issue in terms of flexible working. Mm. And uh, we were speaking earlier about uh, Scandinavia and how they do have um, six to nine months paternity leave is normal. And in you know, we were at the Eco Global Summit last week talking to some Scandinavian PR businessmen, and they actually, the men, do take paternity leave. Um, and we asked around the room, um, even in the countries where paternity leave was uh, permitted, a lot of the men just don't take it, even if they're allowed to take it. So it's, it's a kind of cultural issue as well, and it's a social issue, and, you know, well, people look at me as if I'm, you know, in the workforce, well, they think I'm less of a man because I'm taking paternity leave. It's, it's a little bit sad. So, and it's, it, that is very hard to change because it, it's in the, in, in the society and the culture where people work. But, um, I mean, things have changed a lot in the last hundred years. I mean, you know, when you look back when women didn't even have the vote, uh, things are beginning to change and society is changing. So, one would hope that things like shared maternity and paternity leave and responsibility for childcare. I think some of the millennials, men, are are taking on more responsibility. So it's just that you know we want to accelerate these changes because as women we we get frustrated when it doesn't happen uh, as quickly as we would like. But right. I think 
it's changing. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think the problem is, right, is that women are not going to be able to be CEOs if they are still expected to drop every, if, if they're the only parent that's still expected to drop everything and run to doctor's appointments or, you know, yeah. rush out the door at 430 because I have to do, you know, daycare pickup at five or, or, you know, yeah. we, and, and, and I think that's why this is so critical because if, if, as long as we put that sole burden on women, we're, they're, they're just, they're, we can't do everything, right? Um, right? And interestingly, I'm I'm based out here in Silicon Valley, and it's become pretty standard out here that um, parent that that most companies do parental leave. They don't do maternity and paternity leave, and the parental leave tends to be. Um, I mean, it's it's the same for women and men out here. I mean, in, for by UK standards, this will seem low, but it's actually quite generous for the United States. Four months seems to be the standard. And, and everyone watches to see whether, see, I mean, when Mark Zuckerberg's child was born, I think it was his first child, um, everybody that, you know, Facebook has a four-month paternity, uh, parental leave policy for men and women, and the big question was, would, would, would Mark take it and show in, as an example that, look, you can be the CEO and still take four months off as a of, of paternity leave, and I think he did two months, I'll double-check that, but I think I think he yeah. sort of split the difference, and but but did check out for two months, and and you know, just to kind of send the signal that, look, I mean, this is, this shouldn't just be one, the responsibility of one gender. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was this, this confidence gap. And because yeah. that really struck me as well in the stats. And I think it was, it was, I think it was, um, I mean, it seemed like overall confidence was fairly low in the industry. Of course, it was much lower for women than it was for men. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, cool. yeah. I was going to ask you, I mean, why do you think that our industry, why do you think there is such a confidence gap? even, you know, across both genders, although, again, it's worse for women, why aren't people feeling comfortable asking for promotions and raises and, and not feeling, you know, confident around around kind of taking charge of their own careers, I guess? I don't think that it's a particular... I don't think this is uh, specifically PR, the PR industry. I think the confidence issue um, for women uh, is there from a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that women uh, under the age of 10, I think, uh, if you watch the documentaries and you listen to the medical profession, women don't have the same level of confidence, um, or girls don't have the same level of confidence as boys in their own ability, even even when they're at school age. Uh, you know, a girl is, thinks she underestimates her own uh, ability in terms of exams, uh, much more than boys do. Um, I, you know, I've seen some research on this. So I think that sort of um, gender inequality in terms of confidence and views on things uh, starts at a very early age, sadly. Uh, and that's actually incredibly hard to address because it's 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 there from childhood almost. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that gender stereotyping starts at, at childhood, uh, and that's that's often as a result of not just it's, it's it's society that creates that, but um, yeah. In our survey, it was twenty six percent of women answered that they're not very confident asking for a promotional pay rise, compared to thirty thirteen percent of men. So that's more than a double um, the number of women are lacking in confidence. Uh, and we also asked them about the career la- la- ladder. Will you reach the top of the career ladder? 28% of men think they will definitely reach the top of the career ladder, and only 18% of women believe it. 
So that's um, a massive difference in terms of, um, and that's two different things if you think about it. One, the career ladder could be because of what we've been talking about. It could be because they know that they want to have a family and they can't do it all and they can't manage it all, and, and we get that. Um, but in terms of asking for a promotional pay rise, that's nothing to do with having a flexible work life or being too busy in terms of your work life balance. Um, it's just not having that inner confidence in your own ability and feeling positive about your own capabilities and abilities in your in your job. Um, and I think that's 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 very sad that women feel like that. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to change. And I, that's why I'm saying that I think that where we have got a few very senior women in the PR industry that have made it to the top, women like Karen Van Bergen, um, like Barry Rafferty at Ketchum, uh, it's great if they can um, help and advise how they actually got into that position, what they did to make a difference, because there are so few of them. What did they do that was different to actually get to that? position. And I think someone like, for example, Cheryl Sandberg in her Lean In, um, not just the organization, but that book that came out was phenomenal in terms of really straight, hard-hitting dealing with some of these issues um, face on. Um, and obviously, there are confident women out there working in any business environment. But um, if you look at the sort of averages, um, I'm afraid that women aren't really... Uh, up there and as confident in the same way as men. Um, right. And is this because because boys are actually expected by their parents to actually get to the top of the ladder and women are still expected to have children and be at home? I, I hate to think so, and I'm hoping that that will, that, that will also change as society changes. But it seems to be from our research that that is the case. Right. No, it seems like, I mean, I, and I think there, like to your point, I mean, there's been plenty of research that's shown that women are socialized um to, to be, to not, to not be as forward about their accomplishments. Um, and they do tend to be, um, penalized more if they're seen as self promoters. Um, and to your point about confidence now, I mean, there's a, there's a New York times piece that on this issue. And one, one, one example they cited was they actually had somebody ask a room, full, um, a mixed gender room about if anyone there considered themselves to be breastfeeding experts. And the person that raised his hand was a man who said he would consider himself an expert because he watched his wife breastfeed for three months. And I think that goes to show you, right? I mean, like to your point about having, having eight, you know, you know, checking off some of the checklists and how, you know, how men sort of see that versus, versus women. And I think part of it is I think women are still, um, they're, 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 they're penalized not only for speaking up and for having some, um, you know, there's, they're the famous, the famous Harvard business review study that showed, right. I mean, you have two CEO case studies and one, you have the, the, the CEO's name, you know, Michael, and the other one you have it, I don't know, Linda, right. When mm-hmm. students read both of them, the one were, were it was Michael, the CEO, it was like, wow, he's got great leadership skills. And when it was Linda, it was like, wow, she's really bossy. She's really aggressive, right? I mean, it's just women just are not rewarded for having those same traits. So I wanted to also ask you about something else that the, the, in the New York Times piece mentioned. And, and I wonder how much, whether, you, whether you're whether you seeing this or, or anecdotally you're hearing about this, 
And they interviewed a bunch of women who were sort of next in line for CEOs, but didn't actually become CEOs. And they were, one of their perspectives was this, the barriers were so much more deeply rooted than we think. And organizations still fall in the trap of seeing women as dependable, but not visionaries. Um, and so they kind of get steered more towards those world that those roles of sort of keeping the trains running on time and men are still sort of steered more towards the, the visionary roles that ultimately take them to the corner office. Mm -hmm. I think uh, uh, this is tied in a little bit when you talk about visionary and you think about um, entrepreneurs, I think this is just anecdotally, I think, and you probably feel the same, that I think men sometimes are more risk takers than women. I think women are scared to fail. I think women like to be in a safe working environment where they're ticking a lot of boxes. I think women like to work in a team environment. They feel more comfortable, and I think that's part of that nurturing nature um, personality that, that we have. Um, whereas I think, as I said, I think men are more, I don't mind taking a risk. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'll just move on to the next thing and I'll get on with it. Whereas I think perhaps women are more scared of failing. I don't know why. Do I, I think is there, yeah, no, but I think because the, I think the data is shown because they're held at a higher standard, right? I mean, when a woman fails, mm -hmm. it's, it's much more considered mm -hmm. to be reflective of her competency. Whereas mm -hmm. if a man fails, I do think there, there is some element of, well, you know, he took that risk, but it didn't work out, but, you yeah. know, and, and, and I think a lot of this is, is, is some of these, as the New York Times piece said, just so deeply intrinsic and rooted in organizations where, especially because yeah. they're not accustomed to seeing, perhaps because they're not accustomed to seeing women uh, take a risk and, and fail. So, so when they do, it's, it's considered to be much more sort of reflective of the gender, right? It, it's sort yeah. of like, like the last presidential election in the U.S., right? I mean, after yeah. Hillary Clinton lost, there was this talk of, wow, well, maybe we shouldn't run a woman in, you know, at the top of the ticket again. Whereas we've had two white men, right, fail. Um, we had, we had, we had, we had, we had McCain and Rom lose in 2008 and then Romney lose in 2012. And there wasn't a conversation afterwards that, huh, maybe white men candidates can't win. But when, when we had a woman run in that same position, it was suddenly like, wow, this is reflective of the fact that women just are not capable of, of, of winning, you know, the, the taking the presidency. So, um, and I think one of the things actually that Hillary Clinton said at, at, in the aftermath of that is she said, you can't underestimate the power of when they saw both of them on stage and they looked at Donald Trump and they said, he looks like somebody who used to, who, who's been president before. And, and yeah. I think there, to that, to, to your point about risk taking, I think there is, when you have an organization where you have a certain profile of a person who's always taken the risks, you feel a bit more confident when you have someone else who yeah. looks like that, right? Take the risk. Yeah. I hate, and by the way, I, I'm glad you came up with the bossy word because I, you see that all the time, don't you? I mean, I hate that word. And uh, Oh gosh, right. Again, Cheryl Sandberg, wasn't it, that had the ban bossy yep. campaign mm -hmm. a year or two ago? Right. You hear that so much about women, and, and nobody describes men as bossy in, the, mm -hmm. in a work environment, do they? They mm -hmm. just don't. Um, but if a woman tries to take the lead, make decisions, um, you know, and, and tell, delegate and tell people what to do, direct people, she's described as bossy, and uh, it, it doesn't help. It, it doesn't help. That sort of, those sort of, using those sort of words doesn't help women in the workplace. 
you know, and it, the socialization, it seems like it starts so young. And now, I mean, I have a, I have a two and a half year old or he's almost three actually. And, uh, and on the, we'll, we'll be at the park and I will notice even the way parents talk to their, their very, you know, preschool age daughters is slightly different than the way they talk to their sons. And, and my husband and I have actually noted this is, you know, we have a son and we'll notice people with daughters, they'll say, that's not nice. Or they'll use the word nice a lot. Um, and I, and it starts to make me wonder like how early this is socialized that for, for, for girls, it's so important to be nice. Whereas you don't yeah. hear parents of sons using the word nice nearly as much as you, you'll hear yeah. the parents of, of girls. I think it starts at about age five, six, seven. Mm -hmm. I think that, that, that society um, imposing gender stereotypes on children at that level. I really do. I think it's as early as that age. So if it's so ingrained, I mean, if, if we're looking at yeah. things that are socialized over, like, you know, a, a, a person's lifetime, what can, I mean, it almost gives us, like, hopelessness to it, right? It's like, what can an organization do to at least sort of start reversing some of the effects of that. I mean, to your point, I mean, I, I think Barry Rafferty actually has done an, an, an excellent job, and she's actually appeared on this mm -hmm. podcast several times talking about this very issue. And, and I think she's very actively tried to mentor um, women coming up in, in our industry. I mean, do we just need more, more of that to help sort of undo some of this conditioning that a lot of women enter the workplace? I with? think so. And I think the more women actually see role models, um, Succeeding, uh, um, as soon as you know, when they see women reaching those CEO positions, then they can aspire to that themselves. Um, we just we're developing with the eco organisation of which we're a sector group. We're developing a series of webinars for women, training webinars run by women. And the first one is called Stepping into Leadership, and that is launching later this month, actually. Um, and as part of that, the, the course trainer has interviewed three very successful women in the industry, and they are actually talking about um, how they got, what their role was, I mean, how they got there, how the path they took to succeed. And I think that the more that um, other women can see that and learn from that and understand it, um, I think it sets us targets for ourselves to actually reach those positions. So I think training, and I think organisations can, can do this as well with training women. Um, we went to see one of the city organisations in London a few months ago, and they were very concerned that they had women that were reaching just under boardroom level, and they just weren't actually getting into being partners in this. And it's a financial agency, so it's predominantly men. So they, had, they acknowledged that they had talented women, but it was just getting them to that next level. I also feel that one thing that perhaps, and this is a bit provocative, I think, this comment, I think sometimes women are less interested in the business side of public relations, uh, and by which I mean the financial side, as in making a profit, what's on the bottom line. I think women, the reason there are so many women in the PR industry, and we are two-thirds women, is that we're very, very good at uh, communications and the soft side skills, business skills. And we're perhaps, we go into it because we like talking to people, meeting people, we like communicating, but when it comes to looking at a balance sheet, uh, looking at the bottom line, working out profitability, perhaps, perhaps women are not so comfortable with that and not so interested in it. And you need to have good commercial skills to be in a boardroom and to be a, become a CEO. And I have, uh, you know, anecdotally talked to women who go, 
but I'm not really interested in the business side of things. I'm only interested in the PR. And that, that, I suspect that could be holding some women back as well. But on the flip side of that, I mean, we see this industry has sees a tremendous number of women entrepreneurs, women who start their own PR mm. agencies. Um, I mean, I think if you look at agencies under 50 million, it's, I mean, probably even if you, you know, I mean, maybe even if you looked at under 100 million, but definitely under 50, I think you'll actually see a majority of, of female owners. So women clearly understand the business mm. and um, okay. and have an aptitude for that, right? I think, and I wonder how much of it is a chicken and an egg thing, right? I assume a lot of people go into public relations with, with because of that interest in communicating, to your point, both men and women. But I sometimes wonder if the men are steered more towards the the business roles because of the stereotype that, oh, well, you know, he's a man. He must be interested in, like, numbers. And women are kind of steered more towards client management because it's like, oh, well, you know, she's, yeah. Yeah. right? You know, and, and, and so I, some part of it is, like, it's hard to say that, you know, women aren't as interested in, in X or, or men are more interested in Y because I think so much of it is a lot of these biases that we have um, yeah. that just play themselves out. One thing I did read, what and this is actually Lean In did, did, I think it was a Lean In study, that showed that women tend to excel at organizations when they're judged by a very straightforward metric, something like how much new business did you bring in, um, yeah. you know, what how much um, – how much revenue do you oversee or things like that versus the much more subjective parameters around like issue, you know, is this person likable or do they um, have good leadership skills, which what does that really mean? Right. I mean, um, so, so I think, I think women actually tend to do better when organizations do have more straightforward metrics around how they evaluate um, because of a lot, again, a lot of these biases that we've talked about. And of course, a lot of women do set up their own agencies because it allows them more flexibility, which is something I did. I mean, I set up my own agency um, because I was you know, about to have a, I got married, I was going to have children, and I could see working for a big agency wasn't going to give me that flexibility that I needed, which is, I think, why so many PR women start up small agencies and often are working for those small up to medium-sized agencies as CEOs mm -hmm. because they can control their work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I uh, and that, I think that's 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 a very important point, right? And and I think on on top of that, and the other anecdote I've heard from women who started their own their own agencies was they women generally, or as as we've you know research has shown, have a, have a different leadership style than men. And I, I spoke to one CEO, and she she actually you know she runs a very successful um, agency, and she was saying that you know her leadership style wasn't necessarily valued or appreciated at the big agencies that still had a very masculine style of leadership. And that wasn't the culture she wanted to create. And so she kind of at some point saw that there wasn't really a path forward for her, especially given her style of leadership didn't quite mesh with um, the, the mostly male leadership team. So she started her agency, hugely successful and great retention um, with her team. And, and it was because... And, and do you think that's changing? I mean, do you think do you think women's leadership style, because it does tend to differ from men, um, is being recognized and acknowledged and and and, and appreciated at, at organizations more than it has in the past? I'm not sure that it is at the very large global organizations. I have to say, I think you're absolutely right. I think women, we are different, men and women, and I think we have a more 
possibly a more nurturing style when it comes to managing our own agencies when we're running smaller businesses like I was. Um, and loyal, very loyal staff as well because of that, because you're almost developing a kind of family environment that people want to belong to, they want it to succeed. Um, I felt that when my agency staff were working for me, they, they really believed in the ethos of, ethos of the business and wanted it to succeed. Personally, when I was working at a, one of the top 10 agencies, I felt it was a much more impersonal environment, much more clinical, much more business-like, much more about the bottom line. Um, and I didn't feel as involved. Um, and that, that it's a, it's, as you say, it's a different style of organization and a different style of leadership that's involved in those organizations. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that it's changing right at the top. But, I mean, even if you look at the huge global marketing consultancies, um, you know, beyond PR, but in the advertising and the marketing consultancy world, there are still very few women at, at the very top there. Um, and I'm, I'm afraid I think it's going to be quite a while before things change. Yeah, I think uh, Maureen Lippi, who, you know, of course runs the, 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 the firm by the same name, um, she she uh, wrote a piece recently, and it was actually really powerful. And one of the things she said was, you know, because women are – their, their style tends to be a bit more empathetic and they like to connect yeah. with people at a personal level. Like you need to do little things like change how you structure meetings, right? I mean, there should be room for some amount of, I don't even want to call it small talk, right? But connecting at a personal level before jumping right into the business. And she was saying that, you know, you know, when you're talking to your female um, colleagues or, or, or employees, I mean, you know, you, you really need to leave some time to really ask and, and, and be interested in questions like what's going on in your world, um, sort of creating that more empathetic environment. And the other thing she said, which ties back to something you and I have talked about, is organizations need to stop overvaluing overconfidence, which, yeah. which would, yeah, which, I mean, if you really want to see women succeed at your organization, and we know that women just are not socialized to have the same amount of bravado that a man is when they walk into a room, that we need to stop putting so much value on that and actually putting the value on who, on getting the work done and who's doing yeah. it and who's, who's really excelling there instead of, Oh, well, you know, he walked into a room and he just like owned it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So no, I, that's true. That's the other side of the fact of, of valuing overconfidence or overvaluing overconfidence. Yes. Is, 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 is equally wrong as women not being competent enough. But mm -hmm. you see it in the meeting room environment, in a business meeting all the time, mm -hmm. whereas uh, women are far less likely, and Sheryl Sandberg obviously uh, wrote about this, women are far less likely to speak up. We need to speak out more. We need to be confident mm -hmm. around the meeting room table about our own thoughts and beliefs mm -hmm. and feel that we have value. And sadly, this doesn't always happen mm -hmm. in a business environment. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else from the research? Actually, you know, I thought one thing that we that um, hasn't been talked about very much that stood out to me when I looked through the research was um, the ageism and the fact that yeah. that women felt they were more likely. I mean, they, they they were more likely to see that than than men. And I was wondering if you had any context around that those those stats. Um, I think it was thirty six percent of women believe that the parent industry yeah. is ageist compared to twenty five percent of the men. Yeah, yeah. We thought we'd throw because we last year when we conducted the survey the first time, we didn't ask any questions about ageism. Um, but it was actually, it was, it was a woman that's um, setting up Global Women in PR in Germany, Cornelia, who used to run 
Gwen for Edelman. That's the Global Women's Executive there. Um, she said to us, when she had a look at the questionnaire, she said, why don't you put a question in about age, age? Because I think that, um, I think for women particularly, I think the PR industry is, is ageist. So we put that question in and um, perhaps we weren't that surprised, but it did come back that, that, uh, that, that the respondents felt that the industry is ageist. And, and actually, I remember I made a note of the fact that that figure was even higher in North America. It was 44%. So 44% wow. of women in North America. Almost half. And that was the highest of any of them. We had 19 countries doing the survey. And the highest uh, region was North America in terms of ageism. Um, I, I'm curious, um, uh, what was the male stat from North America? Because it was 44% of women. What oh, percentage of I haven't got that to hand. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd have to look at the tables. But um, I'm, I'm sure men thought it was ageist as well, but it was a lot lower. Right. A lot, lot lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I think my German colleague obviously thought that it was <laughs> it was an issue in, in Germany as well. I can't remember the exact statistics. Mm -hmm. But um, I, th I think it's the industry is more ageist towards women than it is to men, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that is the case. Right. Uh, sadly. Because we're in an image-conscious um, industry. Right. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's well-documented. I mean, in the UK, it's well-documented mm -hmm. on the, the BBC television channel. There's a, a, a lot of work being done. A lot of women are speaking out about this. When newsreaders get to the age uh, of 50-plus, uh, they kind of get sidelined and asked to leave. I don't think it's quite so bad in the US. I think you've got some, in terms of broadcast, you've got some older women presenters. Um, but, uh, to some extent, but you, you do see, I mean, the classic um, duo, especially on sort of the local news channels, is the yeah. the gray-haired man who's been there for decades, and he's always yeah. coupled with, like, the 20-something woman, um, and, and I, every time I see that, I just I just flip the channel, because I'm like, I'm not going to support this, and, and you do see a lot less of it, you almost never see the reverse, where you see the older woman Absolutely. yeah coupled with the you know the 20 something male i mean yeah. it's rare to see peers i think it's rare to see um you know the, the the older anchor with the um with 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 a with a true peer right uh, an age peer if nothing else and you even see that with our national shows right i mean the, the female anchors seem to cycle out a lot more quickly than you know the matt lowers who have just been there yeah. for yeah. ages right and i see i mean from traveling around europe quite a bit you see it on the european television as well Whenever <laughs> you switch on, uh, absolutely no. So I think I think, and I think we're an aging population at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and what is going to happen to all the PR uh, managers when they get to to fifty? I mean, mm -hmm. we're going to be working into our seventies mm -hmm. um, because we're you know age is going up, and mm -hmm. that's that's very difficult. I think it's difficult for men and women. You know, that's, th that, this isn't, you're actually giving me an idea because this is an under, um, I think, reported issue in our industry. And you're right, we are an aging mm -hmm. population. And we mm -hmm. do, not only do we, you know, we keep we keep looking at the pipeline, we keep looking at millennials and now Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And and there's such a heavy focus on, on, on that demographic with as in the workplace. And really, you know, at the detriment to the over, and I don't, you know, over 40 and certainly over 50, um, so that's something that I think, uh, huh, there might be a story coming on that. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be the next diversity issue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, I think it, it is. Uh, I mean, I know, I think the rise of digital has skewered 
um, the industry more to younger people because obviously a lot of the work now is digital in the PR industry. And uh, for people uh, 40, middle-aged plus, then it's very hard to have those sort of skills and to keep up with those. It's, it's not as easy. But um, I think older people still bring a lot of knowledge and experience that shouldn't be ignored. And again, it's all back to having a diverse team. Right, and, and I think so you're having, right. You know, having the 20-something sitting next to a 40 or 50-something mm-hmm. working together is, is, is really a much more sensible way to go. Yeah. Because if you go, I mean, you know, when you walk into a large agency and you look around the open plan or working environment, you see white 20-something sitting at desks. I mean, that is the industry at the moment. Um, you know, you, you, there isn't, you don't see colour, you don't see older people, mm-hmm. um, you rarely see disabled people, do mm-hmm. you? I mean, it's, um, it's and, and they're all, you know, university educated, yeah. Right. Uh, and predominantly, yeah, lots of women. A <laughs> lot of women, yeah, you see, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, it's, I, I think it, we... It is, it's not diverse at all. Yeah, we did a we did a study. I don't know if you saw the research we did um, a few months ago. That yeah, that said that you know I think it, it was a, our industry is astonishingly white and and overwhelmingly yeah. female. Um, I yeah. think it's, it's I mean the average PR person yeah is a, is a white Caucasian female with with a college with a college degree. Yeah. And in the U.S., I mean, in a third of them are based in New York. So even from a geographical yeah. perspective, you're getting um, you know it's, it's very coastal centric in particular in New York. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is, this is a, one thing I'll say about ageism is one thing I've noticed is when, it, it, when a team or an agency is really skewed towards digital, then yes, it's, it skews very, very young. But yeah. for the crisis and some of the corporate shops, you yeah. know, you know, the, the gray haired folks are sort of like, they're the reassuring presence at the table. I was talking yeah. to someone recently and, and he keeps, he runs a crisis firm and he keeps trying to get his clients to put the same trust in his his team, but they, they still need him in the room. They still need to have that seasoned person who's been through, you know, decades of crises to, to, to be giving counsel, not just sort of the, the relative newbies. Um, but wow, Angela, I feel like we could talk about this all day. This is is such an interesting topic, but we should probably wrap up. Is there anything we have not talked about that you want to mention? Well, I was just looking at the survey and one of the things that, that did a did come out when we asked about um, what sector people worked in, men and women, we looked at the split. And men really dominate the technology sector. Um, I think 38% of respondents, men, uh, were, were working with technical clients or in the te- technological industry compared to 18% of women. So that's more than double. And this, this sort of struck a chord with me last week at the Eco Global Summit when um, a chart was presented on one of the biggest growth sectors in the PR industry, and there it was, technology, at the top. And I thought, this isn't good for women. Because if there are, you know, we call it in the UK, and maybe you do in the US, we talk about the STEM subject, Mm -hmm. science, technology, engineering, manufacturing. And these are the subjects that that, that women um, at school and going into college are not going into. Hmm. Um, And... You know, if technology is the biggest growth sector in the industry and women um, are not working in that sector and are not really coming out with the relevant skills to work in that sector, then this isn't going to be great for women in the future. So, in the so, so that's a bit concerning. So does it, 
by technology, does it mean like actually working with like technology, like, I mean, like implementing t technology within an organization or having clients in that in the tech sector? Both, both, because our survey covered people in agency and people that were working in organizations. It was did they work? Um, you know, did they have IT clients, technological clients? Were they working on? business in the technology sector. That, oh, that's actually really interesting because I, it, I, it, I don't think it's entirely reflective of Silicon Valley where women do seem to dominate um, the technology PR agencies and, and many of the marketing oh. functions as well. In fact, it's almost to the detriment where, it, where because women are so underrepresented in the engineering roles that yeah. there's this assumption, I, you know, you'll hear female engineers say things like, you know, whenever I walk into the room, people assume that I'm the marketing person or I'm the public relations yeah. person because that's where yeah. we tend to see more women in technology. Or I mean, that's where women dominate in the tech sector in Silicon Valley anyway, and they are so underrepresented on the actual, um, in, in the technical roles. Ah, oh, well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. No, I wasn't aware that, the, uh, that that was the case in terms of the PR mm -hmm. over in Silicon Valley. But obviously, if you're looking at Google and uh, the larger organizations, there are obviously women are much are in the minority. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was because we were looking at cross agency and in house. Right. It, it confused the uh, system. <laughs> and, yeah. Indeed. Well, Angela, this okay. was great, and we, I think we'll have to get you back on at some point because it feels like we oh. there's there's so much more to unpack here. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's been really interesting talking to you, and I, I think it's very important raising these issues because we want to make the PR industry a better place for women uh, and a better place for for business as well in the future and it's by highlighting all these issues and discussing them and bringing them to the table then we can start to make some change agreed agreed very very well said well thank you for being on the show today angela yeah thank you Arky. and that concludes another episode of the echo chamber i'd like to thank our guest angela oaks i'd also like to thank our production team at marketeers and the sponsor for our podcast march communications that also produces the fantastic podcast Hacks and Flex. And if you have not tuned into that yet, I highly recommend that you do. And we will be back soon with another episode. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people.